Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Here in the Music City, I'm Matt Perkins. I have the honor today of being joined by Sports Illustrated's Greg Arias, who covers the Vanderbilt Commodores for SI.com at the Commodore Country Blog. Greg's been writing a lot of great stuff recently, but he had a column on SEC realignment that I really wanted to talk to him about. But before we get into that, we can't forget to... All right, let's get on with the show. Greg, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I wanted to have Greg on today because one of his latest columns was on uh, SEC realignment, or should I say responding to a column written by fan-sided Michael Collins, who wrote why the SEC should, quote-unquote, trade Vanderbilt for UCF. There's obviously a litany of reasons why this is ridiculous, but I wanted to have Greg on to talk about this a little more because during the time of coronavirus, we're hearing all sorts of different ideas about conference realignment because people have nothing else to talk about. So, Greg, what was it about this column that really got your gears spinning uh, in, in wanting to write a response? Well, you know, it wasn't really anything that, quote, got the gears spinning. This time is, is certainly unprecedented for everyone in the nation and in particular for us as sports writers because uh, we're required to continue working and continue providing content for folks to read and there's no live game. So uh, just in reading this, I thought it was kind of on the ridiculous side and just decided to respond uh, as much because I felt like responding, but also because obviously I'm trying to, to fill things for my readers. And this is not the first time that we've seen or heard these types of comments in relation to Vanderbilt. And my thing is, it's not just football. Yes, the Vanderbilt record in football is not great. But when you look at Vanderbilt basketball over the history of uh, the sport, no, they've never won the NCAA tournament, but they've had some really good teams. They're competitive. Uh, They've knocked off Kentucky multiple times when they've been number one. And obviously Vanderbilt baseball and what they've done of late speaks for themselves. So when you talk about the conference and, and swapping teams in and out, it's more than just the football uh, factor that needs to be considered. Absolutely. Yeah, it it goes way beyond just football. I mean, you look at Vanderbilt baseball program is one of, if not the best baseball program in the country right now. And that is driving revenue for not just the school, but the conference as well. We see the SEC tournament being, you know, getting more and more money from places like ESPN to be to be shown. And Vanderbilt represents the conference very well in that, especially when it comes to to baseball. But I also think that, you know, we, we've talked about conference realignment for a long time. And even the fact that the SEC has now added Missouri and Texas A&M over the past 10 years, we've seen the SEC go through a lot of changes. But I think people forget also, not only is Vanderbilt one of the 
sort of the founding members of the SEC, but they are sort of one of the founding members of football in the South. William Laughlin Dudley, who is the father of Vanderbilt football, was the person who created the SIAA, the conference that directly proceeded and turned into the SEC. And there is a lot of history there. And it would be a real shame for people to be such to be so short sighted on something like that. Well, and, you know, it's not necessarily fans of Vanderbilt or fans of the other SEC schools that are uh, doing this. It's in no disrespect intended. Let me get that out of the way. This was not intended to be a shot at Central Florida or what they've done, but they're a newcomer to the to the blocks, much like Boise State. You know, they, these are schools that are smaller schools that have started to make a name for themselves. But you just don't come in and move somebody with the history, as you mentioned uh, so well just a second ago, of Vanderbilt out of the conference and replace them by somebody else. Uh, you know, th- this is more about the UCF people looking for a step up for their program uh, than it is anybody in the conference wanting to knock Vanderbilt down. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if if we were to have it Collins way, we would have teams changing conferences every two or three years then. I mean, you know, they, they, they might have well had like Mississippi State drop down in the 80s or 90s. You know, it's it's not it, it's just it's such a short sighted thing. And I know that Collins likes to poke the bear a little bit. That's sort of in his nature. But it's it's still it's, it's such a very short sighted thing. But I I am actually curious. There was an article in Bleacher Report recently about turning into four 16-team conferences to sort of have a power four instead of a power five. How, how, would you want to see any sort of realignment at this point, or do you think we're, we're kind of good as things stands right now? Honestly, and I'm writing uh, today, and this will appear later on this afternoon, a kind of a response to the UCF folks uh, from the original article, but I think we're okay. I don't think we need four super conferences. And I've been a proponent of this since the days of the AP, UPI, and USA Today polls of having a playoff. And I stand by and will say it here with you, the hypocrisy of the NCAA. And I can go back and back this up because you look for decades now, Division Two, whatever you want to call them, the smaller schools, the Austin Peas, the South Dakota states of the world have been playing 16 team playoffs for decades. OK, and it's, it's every level of football besides FBS. Exactly. At minimum, it's, it's at minimum eight. But I think most of them are 16 game playoff tournaments. It's 24 in the in the FCS because the top eight seeds get buys. Right. So why in the world and how can you justify telling us that it's too hard for these athletes at Vanderbilt and Tennessee and Alabama and Central Florida and everywhere else in in Division One to play a playoff when the other divisions are doing it? Are those kids at those smaller schools any less student athletes than the kids playing at the, the upper level? No, they're not. It's total hypocrisy. And there needs to be at least minimum of 18 playoff where you have the five conference winners and then you take three teams at large, one of those being the best of the group of five or perhaps even two of the group of five and then one other one put in there. That way you've got all five of the conference champions. There can be no argument there you get the best of the group of five or perhaps two and then one other deserving team such as the year where we've seen Alabama and Georgia and Alabama and LSU play for the national championship 
those teams would be able to get into the tournament, and then you go from there. It's a simple fix. The money behind the bowl systems and all money is is what makes the world go round and what's driven this for years and years and years, and that's why we've not had it. And it's hypocrisy by the NCAA and anybody that wants to support it, and I've said that for years, and I'll continue to say that until they get this thing fixed one way or the other. Well, and the thing that when, when you talk about the bowl money, yes, bowl games pull in huge revenues. But can you imagine what a quarterfinal matchup between if it was like Alabama and Ohio State would pull in? Oh, would, absolutely. You know, having more playoff games only means more revenue. And it's not like you can't have the other bowls still. Exactly. It, and no one's you, saying you can't have the other bowls. We're just saying that, like, if we want to crown a real national champion, let's actually crown them in a fair and balanced way. Thank you. And yes, the bowl system could continue for uh, the Shreveport Bowl, the Nashville Music City Bowl, the, uh, you know, whatever name you've got for all of these, the Poinsettia Bowl and everything else will continue on. You just take these eight teams out of that bowl mix. And we saw it with the, the championship four. They still play it in the, quote, Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl. Do something of that nature and let's fix this thing and do it right and do right by everybody and at least allow everybody to have a shot to get into this thing. Right now, Central Florida doesn't have a shot to get in. They're not going to 17 and 0, uh, excuse me, in 2017, an undefeated record didn't get them in. They beat Auburn in a bowl game. Now, do I think they were the best team in the nation? No, I don't think they could have beaten uh, the four or two or three of the four anyway. teams that were in the playoff field, but they certainly deserved a shot. Yeah, they deserve a shot. And there's no reason to not give them a shot. I mean, if you, I mean, it's obviously it's not going to be the same as as college basketball. We're never going to get a 64 team tournament just because of logistics and things like that. But to have eight teams seems not just reasonable, but logical, but again, leave it to the NCAA to uh, leave logic by the wayside. Well, and you want to talk about, you know, how do you do this? Well, you take away Alabama playing uh, UT Martin or Vanderbilt playing Mercer or anything like that. Yes, I know these small schools need a big payday, but you don't have to have two or three of those types of games. Okay, maybe have one. And for instance, let's go to Vanderbilt's schedule real quick. I don't want to belabor the point, but they've got Mercer, Colorado State, uh, Kansas State, which is fine. That's a a power five game. You need to play that. Maybe get rid of, you know, one of those other games and have one against a power five, one against the division two, but cut out a third game. You don't necessarily have to have three of those games that eliminates one and opens up where you can go ahead and have the playoff and take one less game away because right now they're playing 14 games at the college level. Most high school seasons are 15 games to crown a state champion. So what's really the difference? Exactly. And, you know, and their season should be longer anyway. They're collegiate athletes, not high school athletes. So um, I want to switch gears here and talk about, um, you know, the Vanderbilt athletic department and their response, or should I say lack thereof, after the SEC came out with their response saying that the campuses will be opening on June 8th, or campuses can open, I should say, on June 8th for student athletes. Are you surprised that Vanderbilt has not issued a statement yet? And how do you anticipate them uh, reacting to this news? 
Well, let me answer the second part of the question first. No, I have no idea how they're going to react. I'm not sure that anyone outside of uh, Kirkland Hall and the athletic uh, facilities there at McGugan Center have any idea what's going on with that. I'm a bit surprised that there hasn't been some type of statement. I reached out to the media folks over there. Immediately after the NCAA ruling came down, Alan George, uh, and he said that he would be sending out a response when one became available. And obviously he's at the mercy of uh, his athletic director and the administration. And certainly Vanderbilt has some, uh, I won't say issues, uh, but uh, some transition going on with the new chancellor that's set to come in shortly. Uh, Susan Wente is the interim there, and she's leading things right now, but she's you know, kind of a figurehead at this point in time because she's on her way to moving out of that interim role back down into her normal position when the new chancellor uh, comes in. So uh, with the uh, – I won't say issue again. I don't know what's the best way to describe that, but with the situation of having an interim in place and a new coming in and uh, things of that nature, and they just recently promoted Candace Story Lee from interim athletic director to full-time athletic director, I can see where some of those things would play into perhaps not having a response uh, in place as of yet. Uh, I'm a little surprised, though, that they haven't come up with one. We're going on a little over a week now since that ruling Uh, And that vote from the SEC came down. Uh, So that perhaps is more surprising than that there wasn't a comment initially. Yeah, it was. But, you know, and obviously the fallout from that is going to be great, especially when it comes to the college football season this fall. There's still so much up in the air that we don't know about. As of our recording, we are 99 days away from the first scheduled Vanderbilt football game. But we still have so much unknown before we get to that. It's a bit of a guessing game, but... I asked Simon Gibbs, the sports editor from the Vandy Hustler yesterday on the show about this. I'm going to ask you the same question. How do you see the uh, this fall football season playing out in terms of will there be games and will there be fans in the stands for games? I certainly believe at this point in time, everything is pointing towards there being games. The fans in the stands uh, situation is uh, certainly a different animal. And uh, I wrote Last week about the Wall Street Journal did an interesting video uh, where that uh, they had some doctors look at and discuss the spread of the coronavirus and how uh, potentially, and I'll use that word potentially often, uh, it could happen and why the having fans in the stands for a game would uh, potentially be an issue. So I certainly think there's some more science, there's some more discussion and things of that nature to go on before that decision is ultimately made by people smarter than I am. But I can see uh, nobody wants to not have football because of the financial impact. And I wrote a story about this as well. We're talking about $4 billion with a B Uh, potential dollars in lost revenue if college football doesn't happen across the board. And that means that programs, and we've already seen it like schools at Bowling Green, Bowling Green University, cutting out their baseball program because it's not a revenue producer for them. And 
losing that type of revenue across the board for colleges would cause them to have to potentially look at cutting some uh, lesser programs, which is certainly something that they don't want to do and would be a, a detriment to them and to these student athletes that are on campus to all of a sudden lose uh, the particular sport that they're there as part of their collegiate experience to participate in. It could be like what we saw at UAB with their football program a couple of years ago on such a more massive scale, because we know that the TV money that comes in with, you know, the SEC contracts with CBS and ESPN and all that, that money floats entire athletic departments. Absolutely. Um, and it is it, fo college football is such a cash cow for the schools, the conferences that I personally do not see any situation in which there is not football games of some sort. Now, I think that we could see maybe stadiums open to 10, 20% capacity. We're now, fortunately for college football, they've got about three months to test how other countries and similar sports will be opening with their stadiums and how that will go. We're seeing some European soccer starting to open up people talking about opening stadiums to 10 to 20% capacity there. And we'll see what the fallout from that is. And I think that actually is to the benefit of the college football system because they will have at least some data to go on. So, I mean, at least fortunately for college football fans, this is not happening during college football season. Cause frankly, I don't know what I would do if, if they just completely suspended college football. I mean, all of us, you know, Saturdays, Saturdays in the fall are, are the holiest of days. Absolutely. And well, we kind of got a taste of it uh, at the SEC basketball tournament, certainly football on a different scale. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the night that Vanderbilt played the opening round, I, I was we're there. In, I was in the house for that. I, yeah. when, when they announced it, I was I was sitting there with two of my buddies and we're just like, what on earth is happening? Exactly. And I'm sitting on, you know, in the media section there, right behind the ESPN, literally right behind the ESPN announcers that were calling the game and, and speaking to several other media members. And then we go back uh, after the games into the underneath of the, the arena there at Bridgestone. And certainly there's discussion of what's going on. We got there the next morning. I'm walking into the arena. Kentucky had just finished a basketball practice and we're actually still on the floor uh, when we were allowed into the arena and discussion was amongst media members, certainly some of the other conferences had already begun to cancel their tournaments. And we kind of felt like, Hey, this is about to get yanked. And sure enough, shortly after we got in, uh, the announcement came down that the SEC was pulling the plug. Greg Sankey comes out onto the court, does a live TV shot with the ESPN crew right there in front of us. We listened to that and then went in the back uh, to hear the rest of his comments. And so uh, we have a little bit of experience with that happening, but not to the scale of football. And you mentioned a minute ago, and I'll throw the number out uh, at you and the listeners, the football money given by the conference to each individual school last year was $33.6 million uh, from the conference. That doesn't include the revenues that each individual school uh, made on their own. So that kind of gives you an idea of some of that TV money you were talking about. But, yeah, without football, certainly – it would make things tough on a lot of people and not just from the financial standpoint, but as you said, football Saturdays are certainly sacred around here. And what would people do without them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Glad to do it anytime. And uh, congratulations on this podcast and uh, keep up the good work and we'll be listening to you. All right. Thank you so much, Greg. We'll have you back very soon. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Anchor down. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.